Numbers count a whole lot in many different ways and places. And when you're, when you're talking about counting things and calculating numbers, there's a, there's a few times when numbers make really all the difference. So uh, let's think about this. If, uh, if you're talking about money, you want there to be fewer numbers or more numbers involved. You want, everybody wants more. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Unless that's what you owe. All right, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, uh, now what about this one? When it comes to, uh, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan, so when it comes to statistics, like your batting average, your home run total, or maybe another sport, maybe like basketball or football, you want to see more points on the scoreboard, right? Man, the higher you see that number go up, the better. Unless, again, it's for the other team, and then you don't want that to happen, right? Um, so, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game. I think some of you are going to catch on to this pretty quickly. Um, I, I watched R- Ralph Breaks the Internet. Anybody ever seen that, that little cartoon? It came out not too long ago. And uh, they, Ralph, the video game character, goes in with one of his other video game characters' uh, friends to the Internet, and they go to a place called eBay to buy a part to fix the video game. And when they go to eBay, they think it's a game of saying the biggest number that you possibly can, and then if you say a bigger number than anybody else, then that means you win the bid, Right? And so they just start to call out huge, gigantic numbers until they owe like $27,001 for a video game part. And so the movie's fun. They try to get money to, to, to buy a part to fix the video game. But we're going to play this game tonight. You want to? All right, we're going to start off. We're going to start off. Uh, let's just start at zero. You guys want to? Start off at zero. We'll see how big we can go. We'll see who, who wins this thing. I don't know what you're going to win, but we're just going to go. Big numbers. You ready? All right, we start at zero, so somebody go from there. All right, 10. We got 10. 30. 30. 40. Huh? What? 45. 400. All right, where else? 700. Where are we going? What? 11,000? 11, oh, we got a million. Oh, wait. Somebody said it. Finally. Somebody said it. Who was it? It was Edie. Infinity. I don't think it's a real number, though. It's not a number. But that, that's what always wins. Um, you, guys, you guys ever remember playing this game when, when you were kids? And you were talking about how cool you were and how many toys you had or how many times you hit the baseball or how many points you could score or how far you could throw the football. And you'd be, you know, 10 feet, 100 feet, a million feet. And then somebody would bust out, infinity. Anybody remember that? All right. Now, here's, a, here's some math for you, all right? This is going to be Jake's preacher math tonight. You ready? Let's just pretend that infinity is actually a number. Now, I know you can't really quantify infinity, but I think there's a real sense in which we can see a picture of infiniteness in a tangible form, Right? Um, in the song Red Letters that we sang just a few minutes ago, you guys remember that part of the song when it talks about his arms stretched wide for me? So if, if you think about it this way, um, I've tried to explain to my kids before how much I, I love them, right? So you know, I, I love pizza, I love baseball, and I, you know, I love you guys, I love your mom, and I, you know, I, I can't even stretch my hands out so far, that's how much I love you. But when it comes to explaining how much God loves us, instead of just 
acting like we, you know, we can't stretch our arms that far. All we really got to do is just stretch out our arms. Because God's love was displayed, his infinite love was displayed between the hands of one man. His name was Jesus Christ. When he hung there on the cross with a nail driven through his right and his left hands, he was displaying to the whole world, this is how much I love you, that I'm willing to give my own life for you. Now, I know we can't quantify infinity, but I think that if we could quantify God's love, if there's any way that we could possibly measure it or put it on display, we could come up with no better picture or illustration than what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, right? I mean, wouldn't you guys think so? It's, a, it's an amazing story. In fact, that story is so amazing that it's changed my life. When I came to the point that I realized I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for my sins and he loved me enough to give his own life for me so that I could have life, I decided I wanted to believe in him and I gave my life to him and I became a Christian because his love really is infinite. It goes on forever. But I want to talk to you about another number tonight that, uh, that might surprise you. This might be the biggest number in all of the Bible. All right? Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. So no, it's, it's not Methuselah, the oldest living man who is 969 years old. Um, it's not 30. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It, uh, it, it's an interesting number. Luke chapter 15. Here's what it says. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Here's verse 7. You ready for the biggest number in all the Bible? I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I think it's probably the biggest number in all the Bible. One. And here's why I say this. Jesus was talking with a bunch of religious folks. We would call them church people if they were around in our day and time. These church people really weren't part of churches. They were part of synagogues and they were part of Jewish beliefs. The Jews believed in one true God. But for some reason, these religious people, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, priests, rabbis kind of got in their minds that at times they were more important than other people around them. And at times they thought of themselves as a group, as the people that God loved and didn't like all these other people. So there was a problem for these church people. It was the problem of Jesus and his infinite love. They didn't like it. In fact, you'll notice why they're grumbling and why they don't like Jesus. In verses 1 and 2 of the verses I just read, it 
it goes something like this. They start to grumble against Jesus because they see him eating with tax collectors and sinners. Why is Jesus doing that? If he's the son of God and we're God's people, shouldn't Jesus be eating with us? And talking to us and fellowshipping with us? That's what makes sense to me. And so Jesus says, guys, look, let me teach you something. And so he tells them a story. It's a parable. Jesus was great with telling stories or parables about a man, a shepherd, who has a hundred sheep in his fold, in his flock. And he's got a hundred of them, and as he's counting them to wrap up a long, hard day out in the fields where he's, he's taking them out to feed them in the pasture, he realizes 97, 98, 99. There's a problem. What was the problem? He's missing one. And so Jesus, in order to help these Pharisees understand why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, instead of them, he says, who among you, if you had a hundred sheep, wouldn't leave all the 99 that are already safe in their pen in the pasture and go and find the one that's lost? Because Jesus knew that every single one of these people would go after that one and find the one sheep, wouldn't you? We think about it like this. I've got four kids at my house. I love all four of them dearly and all four of them uniquely. At the time that this story happened, however, we, we only had three children. Some of you remember this. This happened on Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you this story. You ready? Went something like this. We were at home getting ready for church, and I left a few minutes early because I had to come over here and, and talk to a few people and get a few things ready for church that day. So Stephanie... We live right across the street over there from the church. Most of you know that. Stephanie was still getting ready and still helping the kids get ready. Well, our littlest one at the time, his name's Branch. Who hasn't met Branch? Oh, oh man. We gotta, hey, you, you got to meet Branch. He's the craziest kid you ever meet in your life. He's cool. All right. So Branch, our little blonde-haired and blue-eyed child, was two at the time. And he decided that he was going to follow dad to church. But I had already been gone for a few minutes. And he, had, he like apparently just figured out how to open the door, the front door of the house. So he opened the door and he just walked on out. Of course, I, I didn't know. I wasn't home. I didn't hear this story till later on. But Stephanie told me what happened. She starts calling Branch's name to find him to bring him to church. There's no Branch. So Mally Grace and Mordecai, my two older children, are there at the house, and they're getting ready, and they all start looking for Branch. Where's Branch? Where's Branch? Where's Branch? Nobody knows. So what do you think my wife did? Do you think that she said, you know what? We've got three kids, but two of them are here. I'll just stay inside with these two. Who cares about Branch? Is that what she did? No. Yeah, right, man. She went outside in the driveway. She stood there because she really didn't know what to do. But what do you think the one thing on her mind was? Branch, where is it? We, we've got to get him back. It was wonderful about that time. These folks named Jeff and Kelly Yates came by. And so my two-year-old was picked up by the sheriff that day. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. He didn't go to jail. But, but Kelly was holding him in her lap, and they come, and they pull in front of the road in front of the house. And Stephanie said, there's a little Branch's head just bopping up and down the window. He's kind of scared, but... He was branch. He was having fun, too. So he got dropped off there at the house. What do you think happened when Stephanie saw that it was him? 
Do you think that she took him inside and spanked him 800 times because he'd run off? What do you think she did? What do you think she did? She gave him the biggest hug he'd ever had in his life. I mean, she was so excited, so happy that he was now found that she was crying. She was talking to him about how you don't need to ever run, run off again or run away. But she was more joy-filled and more excited about the one child who had been found and saved from who knows what than about the other two who were in the house. Did that mean that she loved the other two children in the house less? No way. She just knew that that one was in danger. You see, all of a sudden that morning, three wasn't the most important number in the world. Or a hundred and whatever people that we had at church for worship that morning wasn't the most important number in the world. What was the most important number? One. Because this was our child. We, we need to protect him. We need to guard him. We need to find him. We need to keep him safe. We need to bring him back home. When Jesus was trying to talk to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these church folks, about why he was loving these tax collectors and sinners, he was trying to get this point across. You guys already know God. He said, listen, it's not that I love you any less. Do you think when Jesus died on the cross that he only died for the super awful people in the world? No. I think he died for everybody, right? His arms stretch wide where mine should be, where yours should be, where everyone's should have been. But when Jesus sat down to the table to eat with these tax collectors and sinners that wanted him, that needed to talk to him, that were asking him questions, that were seeking God, that needed a Savior, he said, guys, come here. I want to talk to you. I want you to be found. I want you to be saved. I want you to repent of your sins, and I want you to experience new life. Jesus said, guys, I'm, I'm like the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. You guys know that song that we sing together a lot of times, Reckless Love? That God's love is so great and so powerful that he leaves the 99. It's not that God doesn't love you who are Christians. It's that God loves everybody. And it's that God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And he wants each and every one to repent of their sins and to trust him as Lord and Savior. And here's why this is so incredible to me. Did you know that Jesus doesn't just count you as, a number, as, as another number? Do you know that? I mean, he, he's not sitting up there in, in heaven on Sunday mornings going, yep, looks like First Baptist Church in Walnut Ridge did real good today. Look how many numbers were there for Sunday school and for church. That's not what excites him. That's not what brings him joy. Rather, what excites him and brings him joy is the one sinner, the one wayward person who's lost and is found, who's lost and is saved, who's living in sin but chooses to turn away from sin and to trust Him to be the Lord of their life and the Savior of their soul. So look, I know that when we're playing that game, like, and when you were playing that game when you were kids and somebody dropped that number infinity, that it was just like, boom, it's over. 
But instead of just dropping the number infinity, Jesus didn't talk to these church people about how great and how big and how awesome and how numerous. He said, guys, I I came for the one. That was the number that silenced all of the Pharisees, all of the religious leaders that day. It wasn't 27,001. It wasn't a million. It wasn't a billion. It wasn't 24 trillion. It was one. And so here's what I want to leave you with tonight. Jesus said that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Did you know that Jesus loves you so much, so much, that he gave his life for you? On the cross, you, you're the one. He loves you. He loves you enough to exchange his life for yours, to take your punishment so that you could receive his blessing, his position. Jesus is God's son, and when you believe that Jesus died on, your, on the cross for your sins, you become a child of God. You become his son or his daughter because Jesus took your place. You get to take his place as a child of the king of kings. So if, if there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance... I think that you, if you are living, or maybe if you're dead in your sins, it's probably a better way to put it. You need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to save you tonight. Look, he's more joy-filled and excited about that than he is about anything that I say. He's more joy-filled and excited about that than anything that these people play or sing on the stage. He is more joy-filled and excited about that than if we had 10,000 people show up to a youth lock-in. Do you know that? He's more excited and more joy-filled when one person repents of their sins and comes to faith in Him than he is anything else that happens. Here's what else I think this means. For those of you who've been saved from your sins, I think it means for you and for me That we need to get the focus and attention off of ourselves and onto the people around us. I mean, look, if Jesus gets more joy out of seeing one sinner saved, one sinner repenting of their sins and trusting Him than He does anything else, wouldn't it make sense if you and if me found one person that we could love, one person that we could pray for daily? One person that we could be inviting to church. One person that we could be talking to Jesus about. Just one. Look, I'm not asking you to go out and stand in the courtyard on Monday morning next week when you get back after spring break and preach for 30 minutes. I'm telling you to find one friend that sits in class and talk to him about Jesus. I'm asking you to find one person at work that doesn't go to church and say, hey, we're not working Sunday. You want to come with me? Here, here's what we do. I'll bring you to class. You're going to have some of Miss Vicky's homemade cinnamon rolls for Sunday. It's going to be great. Come with me. 
I'm talking to you about one person in your family that you can pray for every day because they don't know Jesus. Pray that God would work in their heart and in their life. If Jesus is more excited, more joy-filled about that one person, then why don't we get excited about reaching out to that one person? One. One. Who is your one? Your one person that you're going to love, that you're going to pray for every day, that you're going to invite to church, that you're going to talk to Jesus about. Who's your one person? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, we thank you so much for this time together tonight. Lord, we thank you for your infinite love that was displayed to us on the cross of Calvary. God, that you stretched out your arms wide to embrace a world full of sinners. In your perfect holiness, you came to live in a world that is filled with sin, filled up to the brim with evil. God, so much evil that the very people for whom Jesus came were the very ones who crucified him on the cross. Lord, I pray if there's someone here tonight who does not know you, who hasn't repented of their sins and trusted you to save them. God, I pray that tonight they would be found. God, I pray that as you're seeking their heart, God, that they wouldn't be distracted by what people are doing around them. God, that they wouldn't be intimidated by what others will think about them. But God, that they would just come to you. That they'd be found, that they'd be saved. Lord, I pray for those of us here in this room tonight that do know you. I pray that you would get our hearts in tune with yours. That we would care about each and every one. Lord, that we have one person on our heart and on our mind that we can love, that we can pray for, that we can invite to church and share the gospel with. God, we thank you for loving each and every one of us. And it's in the one holy, high name of Jesus that we pray.